host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockeypedia cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Jesse Marshall. Jesse, what's going on, man? Good to be with you again. I'm excited for the uh, another segment of the film room. Well, it's, it's actually called the film club, but you know what? Film club. Yeah, we can- film in the club. It's in the film room, though. Yeah, it's in the film room. We're in the film room. Um, that is where we take a player, we grind tape on them, and then we talk about what we see and uh, and kind of just like nerd out on the intricacies of their game. Just as a reminder for those keeping track at home, of the catalog so far, we've got Sidney Crosby, Jason Robertson, Josh Morrissey, Timo Meyer, Mikey Anderson, Kevin Fiala. Um, quite a quite a list of names. No uh, no William Carrier yet. Um, Still on there. Yeah, he'll he'll be on there eventually. Um, and so yeah, that's that's what we're gonna do. So I guess we let's let's tee up the the conversation here. Let's. Give us, let the listeners know why we picked Larkin because you also wrote about him and that kind of ties into this. Uh, and then what makes him sort of a, a worthy muse for us here today? Yeah, well, I think so. First of all, like during the chaos, right, of the trade deadline and uh, all this insanity that went into that, you know, I thought that Detroit did a really good bit of business to lock him up on that, you know, basically $69.5 million extension um, um, for eight years, the, the captain of the team. Um, I, I said to, you know, I, you pay attention to Detroit, to pay attention to Detroit peripherally a little bit. I watch Detroit games, but um, I said, like, I really want to sit down and like do like an, a Dylan O'Larkin appreciation segment because I feel like anytime you watch him, you know, there's so many tropes in hockey, Dimitri, that I love. And one of them is the concept of being a 200 foot player. Right? Mm-hmm. And I always say, like, what does this mean? Like, we see this thrown out. Like, I see it get used all the time without an explanation of what that means or looks like or what impact that player is having at, at all 200 feet and I wanted to kind of explain that because Dylan Larkin's defensive returns are really good right I think for a forward that's as talented and good as he is offensively his defensive returns are really good and it's easy I think to chalk that up to playing in the offensive zone a lot right well his defensive returns are good because he's always in the offensive zone but that's not like not really the, the vibe that's going on in Detroit right? <laughs> they're in the defensive zone a lot unfortunately so what is he doing uh, that's making this impact and what is he doing that in the defensive zone that's benefiting him uh, everywhere else on the ice, Dimitri, which landed me as like a final point here and it's sort of the concept of him constantly being what I call the FIFO forward, which is first in, first out, right? Um, you'll see him, the first guy back to help out in the defensive zone. Um, he'll abandon, you know, he, he, he just reads the play so well. He knows organically when to get back and assist when there's a gap, um, when he can engage with another forward and knock them off the puck, but he also understands the importance of zone entries. So you, you know you're not seeing him like jump the zone or abandon his post. This is like an organic flow for him, where you know he just ends up not only being the first guy back in the defensive zone, sometimes the deepest guy, uh, but oftentimes the one that's either kickstarting the breakout or getting the first pass on the breakout that allows him to be elite. And I don't use that term lightly at zone entries. So there's like a very much, you know, that, that, that to me, Dimitri is what 200 foot hockey looks like when you have a guy, you know, pressing the play from behind his own net. Um, yeah, I posted a clip in my article of him coming back to help his D out with a breakout, right? Stealing a puck, giving it to them, helping them get set and then working his way to the outside and making himself available to get the first pass on the breakout that he just established. And I said on Twitter, it's akin to a quarterback, throwing a pass to themselves <laughs> like, like you don't see that happen all the time so it's just you know it's hard to paint sometimes a front to back complete picture of how one player can impact three separate phases defensive neutral zone offensive zone of the game but then when you sit down and you watch Dylan Larkin and you just watch Dylan Larkin it's not so hard to put that package together anymore because it's almost inherent in his business every single night yeah, I mean, it's fresh on my mind because I spent the entirety of my morning. I, I, I brewed a bunch of coffee and then I just sat down and, and fired up the Dylan Larkin tape and, and uh, you know, just soaked it all in its glory. And my biggest takeaway was just what a what a likable player. Um, you know, I, I don't think anyone could watch Dylan Larkin, especially like on a night in, night out basis, and just go, you know what? It's just not for me, not my type of player. Like, you know, I, I think he does and you sort of, touched on that there yeah you know at, at least tangentially like he he checks so many boxes or he does so many things that regardless of what or what your sort of interests are tastes are preference or player 
you're probably going to see that from him at some point and sometimes in the same shift. And so that I think that's what's cool to me in, in that, like, in these times where, you know, everything's so divisive, like, like, like players can be so polarizing. For me, Larkin is just such a, a player that's just, like, so easy to become enamored with when you watch him play. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you know, you mentioned who doesn't like Dylan Larkin. It's probably something that doesn't really like hockey all that much. <laughs> like, I don't think you can not be a fan of Dylan Larkin. Well, they're probably not listening to the show, I don't think. Yeah, right. There you go. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, like, there's something in there for everyone, right? I mean, at the end of the day, and I think, you know, if you're a fan of of, of uh, physical hockey, um, you know, this is something you and I were talking about earlier. He's, he can do that. Um, he's not wasteful in that. Uh, if you like guys that are, uh, you know, old school third line shutdown center and their mentality could get in the defensive zone and take somebody away, you could do that. Um, and there are only seven forwards, at least at the time of the writing of the article I did last week, and in specific to Corey's tracking for the All Three Zones project, there are only seven forwards in the league that carry the puck in the offensive zone with a higher rate of success than Dylan Larkin. Uh, a couple of those are like Mitch Marner, uh, Jack Hughes, you know, really good players, right? Um, he's in some company up there, man, that, that in terms of his ability to carry the mail. So, um, you know, it's a not, it's, it's, it's a no brainer decision from the Detroit to, you know, I, it's, it's almost a, from, from the GM perspective, Dimitri, you can put this player with any wingers. I, I, it doesn't make a difference. You got somebody who's, defensively irresponsible and you don't trust them, put them with Dylan Larkin. Well, you got somebody that's really good defensively that you want to uh, maybe have a little bit of a scoring shutdown lab, put him with Dylan Larkin. I mean, it doesn't make a difference. I mean, to me, it's like he's sort of this 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 neutral transmitter that can um, can be aligned with anybody and, and is going to be able to play off of them successfully. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's get right into the good stuff. I, I want to actually talk about like the specific defensive traits and then, and then the offensive traits. And I understand that it's a bit tricky, especially with him, to separate the two because as you mentioned like they, they go so hand in hand right it's kind of like all part of one fluid motion in a sense but let's try to isolate them and kind of talk about what we see and what makes them effective in those specific areas so i'll let you pick do you want to focus start off with the defensive side of things and those habits and then transition into the offense which he often does so so seamlessly or do you want to go the other way why don't we do that yeah okay. because that is i think it's kind of a foundation i think for sometimes a lot of what happens afterwards so i think it's a natural place to begin Okay, well, give it to me. So you mentioned some about how he's kind of like you know the the first guy back. Um, you know that's sort of a uh, a staple of like you look at the gold standard of forward uh, defensive excellence and Patrice Bergeron, right? And part of what makes him so special is, as especially as a center, he never leaves the middle of the ice. He's basically always makes himself available in this one predictable place where his teammates know he's always reliably going to be there. And so if they get the puck they're able to get it to him there right away because they know he's going to be there and he's going to be available for a pass. If they're playing off the puck, he's always going to be there to either back check and, and lift your stick or knock pucks away to prevent chances in front of his own goalie. And he's like, he's, he, it's kind of like a, like a metronome, right? It's, it, it's, it's clockwork. You know exactly where he's going to be at all times. And Larkin certainly, because he's an entirely different player, right? He, he relies much more on his skating and physical ability in that way. It's not necessarily as tight in that regard. Like you'll certainly see him move much more around a defensive zone but similar to that sense he's very reliable in how deep he gets in his own zone exactly proactive i think is just defensively right. the word i would look for right and i think a lot of a lot of forwards sometimes and even this is even true of centers um they're gliders in the defensive zone right so they're there they're they're present uh they're they're uh, in the defensive zone but they're not really impacting anything they're not making contact with anyone they're not taking a lane away, right? They're just in their their general their general area, kind of cruising around. Um, I think that Dylan Larkin on tape proactively identifies areas of concern, right? Head on a swivel, like up, looking around. Where's the threat? Um, you, you know, systematically because of the way Detroit plays, you can always kind of find him in, in similar areas, right? Um, and, and it's he, he doesn't really deviate from this this typical, I think, center area of influence, uh, but. And you see this in the video I posted in my article. Um, uh, you'll see him in the slot, uh, head on a swivel, kind of looking around, trying to figure out what's going on, identifies a threat, uh, gets to them, gets a stick down, makes a play on the puck, and then boom, that's what transitions and leads him off to the other direction, right? So uh, I, I got to go back to this point where, you know, yes, you need to be able, you need to be a good skater to be able to cover the amount of ice surface that he covers and, and to have this huge 200-foot area of influence. Uh, but for me, it's the... This, this sort of just innate understanding of what his role is, where he has his impact as a center, um, and 
uh, it's almost like having a radar, right? I literally, as Dylan Lurker, it's like this forward radar where you could see the bell go off for him and these video sequences and him get in and, and go. And it's like, no, I, this is my guy. This is my lane. I see this happening before everybody else. Um, and, and then there's a, there's a physical engagement there, right? And we talked about this on several shows. Is it's easy to be wasteful physically, right? That is a 100% of thing. Chasing hits, getting out of position, um, you know, finishing checks oftentimes is just a thing that happens and doesn't have an impact on the game. Um, with Larkin, it's in and out, right? He comes in, pushes you, physically pushes you off, takes the puck and goes. There's not the, there's, it's not an elongated, drawn out process, right? Like it's just, it's physicality for the sake of removing you from the ability to play the puck. Um, and, and he does that with, you know, elbows, midsection. Um, you know, I think his hip check is, is classic. Like you could put it in an encyclopedia and people from 1980 would be like, wow, that's great. Um, it, it's timeless really. And I think that, uh, it's just those elements, right? The physicality, the willing to, the willingness to engage in it, and then the ability to proactively identify the area of concern and get there before everybody else. Um, it's all with the intention of getting possession of the puck back and getting back the other direction. And, um, you know, when you mention, I think when you mention the strong and, and elite defensive forwards in this league, Dimitri, like these are traits that they all possess, right? But I think it, from from Larkin's perspective, there's a an extra level of aggression there where, um, you know, he's a super willing participant in this stuff. Well, and I think also an, another uh, wrinkle to this is, you know, you mentioned that ability of his to to take the puck, carry it seamlessly in transition, and enter the offensive zone with it. I think it, the delineation between when the defensive possession ends and when the offensive possession starts is a fascinating one to consider, right? Like in the NBA, for example, you can make the argument that defensive rebounding is technically like a defensive stat because it marks the end of the other team's possession for you to be able to secure the ball means you have it all of a sudden the other team does it now you can transition to offense and similarly with him I think his ability to cleanly transport the puck in that way is a big part of it now I think we tend to think of that more as an offensive skill right he's taking it he's moving downhill he gets into the zone typically he shoots the puck all right that was an offensive possession that was an offensive skill Dylan Larkin displayed but in this sense, I do think that is also a key component of why you see the defensive metrics he has because he has that in his bag as well. Sure. The origin of these offensive traits and offensive, you know, uh, showcases that he puts on is, you know, the stuff that we're talking about now. The mindfulness defensively, um, you know, the awareness, um, um, the stick on ice uh, and ability to break up a play and, you know, quickly transition. I mean, that's all that's all it is. And I, you know, for me, um, Behind every good play he makes offensively, more often than not, there's something he was doing, you know, 100 feet further back on the ice that that led to that moment. And I think I posted so many clips of like, you know, for you know, you you would be happy to get scoring chances out of these situations, Dimitri, but they're goals, right? They're verifiably goals, um, and there are situations where he's the like again. I go back to that concept of being the first player in the defensive zone to do something, right? But then also simultaneously the first player in the offensive zone to also do something that's setting that play up, you know, and his, you know, we, I mean, we'll get to this, I'm sure when we transition to the offensive side, but a lot of what drives his success offensively is the same behavior that's driving his success defensively. And, the, you know, you always hear this concept of, of a heads up player, right. Of a player who's heads up all the time. Um, and I think, you know, I, I may, I make all these little freeze frame edits in my videos where I try to capture that moment, you know, like the moment where his like, in the defensive zone, like you can clearly identify the fact that he is seeing what's happening. His posture shows it. You know, he's up looking at the situation, identifying the play and making a move, um, you know, based on where his head is pointing. So it's just, you can, you can point out awareness on video. I feel like it's something that's very easy to find. And, you know, we talk, you know, I'm sure we're going to get into his puck distribution again and the things that he could do in the offensive zone, but it's the same talent that, that ties all this stuff together. And there's a common thread linking all of the skill um, it's a vision. It's having your head up to use the vision uh, and being able to digest what's going on in front of you. Well, and his usage uh, really caught my eye as well. And I think it's very like sort of instructive on where he's at in his career. Um, yeah, I noticed like over the past couple of years, they've really dialed back his 515 usage. There was a time there. And I think part of this is out of necessity or maybe, um, you know, speaks to the roster composition they had. Like when they were at their absolute lowest, he was just chewing up like, 16, 17, five on five minutes per game, which is like a threshold you very rarely see for forwards. And they've dialed that back down to around 12, 13 now. But 
they've replaced it with special teams utility, right? And and part of that is the power play where he he serves the bumper and we can save that for uh, a, a bit down the road here. But also on the penalty kill, I believe he's like their second most used forward there now behind Andrew Cobb. And I think that's also a testament to to some of these habits that we're seeing from him and the coaching staff clearly like entrusting him with a bigger responsibility there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think, you know, that that enables him, I think, to give you so like to your point, right? The way that they were grinding him down at even strength. I mentioned just a minute ago that not like the amount of ice he was covering, Dimitri. This is why I want them to put a little chip in the like the player jersey. Give me all this info. I want to know how many miles Dylan Larkin skated last night. And I want to see like this area of influence mapped out um in public. Like, cause I just this is one of those players uh where I really feel like you could get uh, a ton of really good information from something like that. Um, well, on, on the note of on, on the note of turning defense to offense, um, I sent you this clip that I found while, while I was watching tape of them today of a uh, recent game against the Senators, and those two games certainly didn't go well for the Red Wings as a whole as a team. But there was an isolated event there where Timmy Stutzla um, is trying to kind of transport the puck out of his own zone, and he's already one of the better players in the league at doing that. Right, like very few guys can catch him, and Larkin basically tracks him down and as cleanly separates him from the puck as you're really ever going to see, and then quickly turns around and turns that into a scoring chance. And uh, SporeLogic has him at 15th in the league in uh, in chances generated off the forecheck, and so I think that's huge, especially for a Red Wings team. We're going to talk about this more in a second, but they like really struggle at 5-on-5 in particular to generate meaningful sources of offense, and so to have this is, is, is quite a luxury, right? To have your most important forward be able to create some of these easy opportunities off of plays that are sort of broken down and, and aren't necessarily traditionally like conducive to offensive success. And let's to, to paint a portrait of how impressive this is, right? Um, you talk about these like these turnovers off the uh, and scoring chances off the rush and all, all that he can do um, with that. The level of competition that he faces uh, and you talk about his deployment, um, he's getting a tougher deployment from a competition perspective than nine really in the percentile wise 98% of the league. Yep. Um that that's unbelievable. His quality of teammate percentile Dimitri is a 56. Yeah. You rarely you rarely see a gap that big, right? Generally right. players who play against the other team's best are also playing with their own team's best players. Exactly. And I think you talk about like this this is just again speaks to that utility um where you could you really use him as like a Swiss army knife in any kind of situation. Um against really good talent and you know you mentioned it was Timmy Stutzel that time we I've seen we like posted video all over the he's doing it to everybody yeah. um and and again there's only a handful of guys uh in the league right now that um you know are transitioning the puck better than him as a forward so um it's just it, it, to me it's it's just so rare that, to see a forward deep in the defensive zone coming back um I posted a video Dimitri where there's it's just chaos for Detroit on the breakout right they're disjointed. Their defensemen aren't in a position where they can do anything with each other, right? It's like the Red Sea between them, four checkers down both their necks. Here comes Dylan Larkin, cape on, right? back into the defensive zone. No, I'll take it. You know, it's just like having an ability to give your defense in that emergency outlet. It's like a quarterback checking down, right? Like you're giving him a safety net um, to not get blasted in the face um, and, and, potentially cause a turnover like this, these are moments that um you know he's deviating from the plan right he's recognizing the situation calling a calling a change himself and saying no i i've got to do something about this um i just those moments to me are just so impactful because there's always this question in the community for, you know we talk about analytics what makes somebody good defensively what, what are the behaviors and the habits that create good defensive impacts here they are right that's this is it I mean, he inexplicably had a really, really awful year defensively last year. But outside of that, I mean, you get his whole body of work. Um, he hasn't stopped doing this stuff. It's just that ability to make that call um, and, and understand, you know, um, you know, the, I, I have to step in and make a play here. Well, he also has to earn everything the hard way, right? You mentioned about like going back and, and having to oftentimes do the heavy lifting himself from deep in his own zone. Like that's great as as having that in your back pocket of, uh, a safety valve, but the degree to which they rely on it I, is not ideal, right? Like moving forward, if you want to see the best idealized version of Dylan Larkin, I think for him to thrive, it would be 
kind of used more sparingly in that way, being able to make save some of his energy and make plays up the ice and have players who can actually, you know, regularly get him the puck in stride. That would be a nice luxury that unfortunately he hasn't really been afforded for much of his career to this point. And it just seems like everything he does as we transition here to offense, he earns everything the absolute hard way, right? Like he never, um, if you look at the points and stuff like that, he's never going to get easy points. Like it seems like everything he gets is is through really hard, diligent work of his own. And so that makes the fact that he's had the production he's had over the past two years, I think, even more impressive to me. Yeah, I, I use the old adage, it's like watching somebody put their waiters on to walk through quicksand, right? Like yeah. it's, it's very it's very similar to that. Um, yeah, I, I think that, um, I, I'm I'm gonna get back to like his hip check, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's everything that he does physically is just so fast. I think he leaves. I don't know if you got this vibe, but I feel like he leaves a lot of players feeling confused about what just happened. You know, um, you'll be in the cycle, you'll be in the boards, you know, moving the puck along the wall, and then all of a sudden it's like a lightning strike. You know, boom, you get moved. Um, you don't have the ability to make a play. You're completely dispossessed. He's off the other direction. That's just, you, you know, it's it's very tactical, right? I think that was probably the best word for it. Um, but it's such a huge part of what he does. He's so strong. That's really what it comes down to is he's so strong um, that, you know, not only can he come in there and do that to you, Dimitri, but if when he widens himself along the boards or with the, when he's in transition and skating with the puck and he makes himself wide, and gets gets those arms out to protect the puck. Um, there are really big, strong defensemen that come in on him in that position and try to muscle him off the puck and just bounce off him um, like a leaf. <laughs> I mean, he's he is really, really difficult to handle when he can bear down and use a center of gravity well and gain some leverage on you. It's, I mean, your best bets to try to make a play on the puck, frankly, you know, get in his way, try to run a little legal interference and, and hope you get a stick on it because it's he's a very difficult player to move. Mm. Okay, should we segue here to the offensive side of things or do you have any other notes? No, I think that's off the puck. Yeah, yeah, no, that's totally fine. Okay, um, you know, so you look at the Red Wings right now and you look at his playing environment this season. Uh, they as a team have absolutely nothing going on in terms of like meaningful sources of offense around the net. Like you look at their team's shot chart on Micah's website on Hockey Biz, and it's just like a big blue blob pretty much from the net out everywhere in the slot, in the circles. And then they have like a few red areas kind of like in, on the peripheries, right? Like the worst spots in the offensive zone up against the boards near the point, like where you don't want to be shooting from. And they have very few players at this point who can sort of unlock the other team's defensive structure who can cut inside, who can get the puck to those areas. And he's one of the few guys you have. So when you see him sometimes create those plays, it's like these brilliant solo rushes where he's almost having to go coast to coast and weave in and out of traffic and, you know, get the puck under the other uh, defender's stick and, and sort of leverage him that way and make it all happen himself. And I, I feel for him because while that looks beautiful when it happens, it's a really tough thing to rely on. It's so tough to have the puck on your stick for that long and and then have to make that many plays in succession without something happening along the way to slop, stop you stop you or slow you down, right? And so that's kind of the barrier he bumps into sometimes in the sense that he has so much on his plate in terms of creating offense that I think it can be very limiting to him. And, I, and it's a shame because I think there's just so much more untapped potential for him to to achieve. And hopefully that happens while he's still like in the meat of his 20s and not when he's like, a different type of player heading into his 30s. 100%, yeah. Um, so I mentioned that, like, we, we talked about his ability to cross the blue line with possession, and you just painted the picture, like, and you're running the, you're right, by the way, running the gauntlet like that um, is a nightmare. It's not a, it's not a strategy, right? Like, it's, it isn't. Like, no, it's yeah. hope is what it is. Yeah, and yeah. hope is not a strategy. Is, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, when I was doing the research for the article, I want to go back to the, the heat maps from Hockey Viz for a second, because... When you look at Larkin's performance, when you look at the Red Wings' performance with Larkin on the ice, they're plus 1% relative to league average and expected goal generation. And I remember looking at that and thinking, that's not that good. Like, what's going on there? But then you look at the Red Wings' performance without Larkin, and they're 20% off the mark with regards to their ability to keep up to the league average and expected goal generation. So the fact he is literally dragging that team up and keeping their head above water and like making things happen. 
I talk about the zone entries. You can talk about the shots off the rush. How about the fact that there is no one living in the same universe on the Detroit roster as him um, in terms of uh, passes that lead to a scoring chance? He's, I mean, he's not only is he doing all this stuff that, and again, just bolstering your point here, crossing the blue line with possession, shooting it a ton. Uh, he's literally the most elite puck distributor on the team at the same time. So you kind of get the sense that, to your point, everything good that happens <laughs> oftentimes is coming off the stick of Dylan Larkin, and that's like a really tough uh, position to be in. Um, I mean, like, you know, you got like a couple players in the mix, but like it's Lucas Raymond, you know, like is sometimes the name that you'll you'll commonly find, and like David Perron, and like, you know, again, like these are nice complementary players, um, but when well, you talk about offensive think- depth, you know, I think Raymond's a great fit for him long term stylistically. Oh sure, but he's also a twenty year old who's like making the transition from coming over from Europe last year, and and it's a lot to put on his plate, right? And so I like that fit long term, but like just relying on him to the degree that, they, that they've had to is also like a problem in and of itself. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, but I mean, you, like we said, the op- the extension of influence that he has in the offensive zone, um, is just is super grand. It, it, it's almost like, um. You know, there's nothing that he's not doing uh, to support this team. And I have to go back because I was mentioning this earlier, Dimitri, but like you can, his patience is unbelievable. Um, I think that's the thing that stood out to me. And I didn't focus a lot on his offense when I wrote the article because it felt like that's the more uh, billboard part of his game, right? Like the game, the part that I think people sometimes are more familiar with. But when Detroit does establish a possession and they do get the puck in the offensive zone, um, he'll wait. I mean, he, you know, he's so good at carrying it. Like I mentioned how strong he is. Uh, he goes on these journeys, I think, sometimes uh, where, you know, he's behind the net, up, up the wall, up along the point, back down. Like if the lane's not there or he doesn't like it, uh, you know, you don't, you rarely see him trying to shove a square peg into a round hole, right? Um, he's got the ability uh, to be able to to be that sort of on ice commander um, where, you know, it's okay. I'll take care of business until until everybody else kind of, you know, finds their space or gets where they need to be or, or gets open or, um, you know, gets off that defender or whatever it might be or, or if our defensemen aren't available, like, let me hold on a second. It's just a, an immense amount of patience offensively um, that, uh, you know, kind of belies his age in a lot of ways, I think. Mm. It's interesting you say that because I actually, I had a bit of a different take on it in watching watching his tape. Um, if I'd actually say like one of my few critiques of his game and where he has a room to room to improve as a player is sometimes his shot selection or decision making off the rush. Like I think once they get set up in the offensive zone, you certainly see a lot of that patience and his like willingness to to cycle around and keep the puck on his stick and wait for things to open up. But sometimes I feel like, and part of this might just be out of necessity, he might just literally be like tired and just want to get the puck off his stick because he's had to take it from deep in his own zone, as we've talked about. But sometimes he gets in, and I feel like there's a better play to be made, whether it's kind of stopping up and cutting back or waiting for a, a trailer. And sometimes he just sort of like from an off angle chooses to to shoot a low percentage shot on net. And I think there's potential for growth there. Now, part of that might just be because of the supporting cast he has. He feels like he has to do too much. He's gassed at that point. But I do think that incorporating some of that patience into his rush game might actually lead to even greater gains for him offensively. Um, I think the data agrees with you on that, though. Like, I think if you look at the data returns from him so far in the games that Corey has tracked, it says that same thing. Like, it's not um, that there's a volume, maybe, perhaps, to his... Uh, Which is fine, because he has to do, he literally has to do yeah. something for them, right? So Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably the reason why. I mean, if you look, his, his D, he's got a gross number of D-zone exits, right? A higher number, I think, than... You would see usually for a forward, which is a testament to some of the stuff we're talking about, but he's got a ton of failures there too, right? The data doesn't necessarily paint a glorious picture of his ability to exit the defensive zone successfully, but that I think to me is more of like a volume problem um, than it is, uh, and you know, we, we talked about how great his puck skill is, and I think it's kind of just a situation where he's in, he's sometimes finding himself in positions where, you know, like you said, he's having to run that gauntlet, because um, well, it's not said- necessarily working. He sometimes got these plays where like, and, and they've been in the offensive zone for whatever, 20, 30 seconds, and there's kind of like a rebound or a loose puck that appears high in the zone near the wall, and he goes and he gets it, and then he displays that patience and ability to like, he kind of like circles or loops back high in the zone, 
and then quickly cuts back in and uses that funnel in the middle of the in the middle of the ice to actually like do like a net drive or, or get himself in a better position and make a play from there. And that's kind of what I'd actually like to see him do a bit more off the rush. I understand, um, you know, sometimes, especially if you have the numbers game where it's like the three, three on two or whatever, you feel like, all right, I just want to get a quick shot off here before the other team can get set. But I feel like sometimes maybe slowing down a bit and getting himself into a better position might actually create other opportunities for him that he's not fully utilizing at this point. So I didn't want to be like overly critical of that because it's a very small no, thing. And yeah. I think part of it is also out of necessity. I, I think in an ideal circumstance where he was surrounded by better players and put into these positions where he could just float a bit more sometimes, I think you'd see that from him. And so hopefully that is kind of the next step for him. But that's kind of what I see on his tape, at, at least for this season. Um, Let me throw this one at you too. Uh, do you well, feel like let's let's get, let's, okay. let's take a let's take a break here uh, before we get into another conversation, and then when we come back, uh, don't forget what you were gonna say. You'll jump right back in, and I'll let you uh, you float that to me, okay? Yeah. Okay. We're uh, we're gonna take our break here. You're listening to the Hockey Pedio Cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back here in the Hockey Pedio cast with Jesse Marshall doing a deep dive of Dylan Larkin's game. Uh, Jesse, right before we went out off to break, uh, you were going to bring something up, so I'll, uh, I'll give you the opportunity here on the floor to uh, to get into it. <laughs> well, no, I wanted to talk, because you were talking about uh, physicality. You were talking about um, low center of gravity and like the ability to make yourself hard to move. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you feel like when you were, because I know you, you went on your coffee vendor this morning and watched mm-hmm. on tape, um, did you feel like you noticed uh, a lot of his scoring chances and goal scoring opportunities are coming off like second, third opportunities in front of the net? Okay. I think that all that all ties together, right? I think he's uh, an extremely difficult player to move out of the way. Um, and I think while, this is, this is where my take is on this, Dimitri, while a lot of defensemen are focused on moving him, he's focused on whacking that puck in the net. <laughs> so like you get these guys that kind of like gang up on him and, and they're giving him the business in the back they're trying to move him out of the way and they're not they're not taking away his uh, his faculty or ability to score right he's still there with a stick available to him and a loose puck um to 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 you know continue to go to work and i almost feel like he's one of those guys you got to get your stick up into his stick you know try to wrench him upwards right and keep that thing from being on the ice because you're not gonna move him, right? He's like a he's like a uh, a pillar down there. Uh, at the same time, if you if you focus on just that, um, you know the guy's so relentless, and he doesn't make any friends in front of the net, you know. And mm-hmm. I think that the second and third opportunities, um, you know, he'll find them and he'll convert them. Uh, if you're not focused on on taking that scoring ability away, as opposed to just you know trying to be all muscle on him. Well, it's a very unique set of skills because I totally agree with you in terms of that. Uh, that strength below the hash marks and around the net in 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 unison with the speed he displays in open ice and in transition. In watching that tape, I, I couldn't help but think that the best comp for him in today's game is Braden Point. Do you think that's do you think that's crazy to say? No, I don't think so. They're they're totally different players. Um, but th- they're not in terms of the impact they have and the way that they go about having that impact. I mean, look. At the end of the day, here's the thing, like, I, we keep, I keep going back to the zone entry point, right? But, like, when I think about Braden Point, like, I think about a guy who's really good at, at dispossessing people and going back the other way. He's a really nagging kind of player. Um, when he crosses the blue line with possession, you know, typically really good things happen. Um, and, you know, I think these are players that, you know, ultimately, Dimitri, are having similar impacts, even if they're not necessarily going about it in the exact same fashion. Well, the reason why I bring that up is because you see, especially now with how Larkin's utilized kind of in that bumper and how he makes himself available there, I think points finishing ability from that area, his 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 ability to kind of open himself up, take a quick pass, even despite the traffic around him and still pick a spot in the top corner is definitely a, a better skill than you see from Larkin. But what made me interested in that is I think for all of uh, Point's ability to transport the puck and, and you know, thinking of him going coast to coast and carrying it up and scoring all these dazzling highlight reel goals, one luxury he has is this ability to play off the puck as well where he's able to sort of sprint up the weak side and get lost in space and then all of a sudden Nikita Kucherov just hits him in stride and by that point 
you're kind of it, it's lights out for you as a defender. He's basically able to just cut through that gap there and get to the net unimpeded. And Larkin at this point, because he's never gotten to play with a player anywhere near Nikita Kucherov's caliber, isn't afforded that opportunity. Right? He generally has to take the puck himself, and I think it's 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 a bit wasted because I'd actually love to see him play with a skilled distributor like that that was able to make that happen for him because I think he could just absolutely carve up opposing defenses if he was able to attack and transition off the puck a little more than he has been able to so far. Yeah, like something that give him the ability to walk off the wall a little bit and get into like those big those big time lanes. Like somebody that could work out of the corner for him um, and, and feed him uh, pucks while he's making those drives. Um, I agree with you. That's... It's it's so much you know it's what's impossible almost <laughs> I mean to do that stuff by your I mean you can't I mean um, it's just it's it becomes too telegraphed so I'm 100 percent with you it is almost a little bit wasteful um, I don't know what the solution is either though right like in their current construction like what you know what's the better alternative for him I don't know the answer to that question but um, it definitely it with his uh, with his skating ability uh, where I think you know. He's, he doesn't, like you said, right, he doesn't have that, like, world-changing elite shot. There's nothing, I mean, I think it's it, it's hard and accurate. You know, that's it. It's, that's not, it's not world-beating. But you, like, a player like that that can distribute like he can, that can see the ice like he can, that's the player I want coming off the wall and going into those high, those high-danger lanes um, and, and you know, being the, um, the point man on that stuff. So uh, it's tough to do that in the situation that he's in. Um, but you know, hopefully they get to a point where they can, you know, start to utilize them a little bit more creatively with some of the time he's getting on special teams, especially. Well, and the other thing, the, the reason why I brought up the kind of the point cop is, you know, point has made a name for himself with these long playoff runs where his game has translated so well to that and he really like become a household national name, right? And for Larkin, similarly, he just hasn't been able to get there because of the team around him. And and you watch him play, I really do believe that if and when the Red Wings get to a point where they're having extended playoff runs with Dylan Larkin on the team, people are just going to fall head over heels with him, right? Like he has the type of game where you're going to watch him play during a first, second, third round, and he's just going to be grinding out some of these plays, and, and you're going to watch that and be like, wow, like this guy is, is so much better than I thought he was because it's going to kind of like open people's eyes to a whole new level of his game. And so hopefully we get there, and hopefully it happens for him because I really do believe that like, that is in his range of outcomes in terms of just winning people over. Yeah, and all of the time I spent watching him, I guess that's the one cro- that's the one thought that never crossed my mind is how like uh, carbon cut he seemed for the postseason mm. um, and for that kind of hockey specifically. Right? Um, there generally tends to be uh, less time and space. Right? It gets tighter. It's harder to create. Um, the game kind of closes in on itself. You know, all these little micro things become so huge. Um, you know, all this stuff that we talked about today, um, you know, that 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 all kind of I think plays into that. I he's the kind of player, Dimitri, that like after a good round, like a good debut in the postseason, comes in, wins a round. That second round montage they cut for the beginning is gonna be all about his leadership, right? And like all this stuff. It's like, no, man, he's just really good defensively. That's what it is. And his skill set elevates the players around him to a level that, like, people think this it's this magical ability to speak in the room. I don't know, man. Maybe that's true. But in reality, like, having a player that does this stuff in the defensive zone and cleans up this kind of stuff and, um, you know, that's – uh, you really can't beat that. I, I just looked it up while we were talking about it because I was interested. He's a fool. Uh, but, you know, you talk about cycle and rush offense and stuff like that. Um, he's a full three points relative to league average higher. Uh, on cycle and, and offensive, um, a cycle and four check offense per hour at even strength nope. than the rest of the league. So, and uh, he's just unbelievable. And he's 13th in rush chances as well. Like, yeah. you, you see that element of his game, and he has to do it all himself, as I mentioned. Sometimes, if you could, if you could just skate into plays and not have to lug it up the ice himself, I feel like that would be, uh, even more optimal. You, you, he's definitely a lead by example type of player, right? Like, a lot of those traits we've mentioned kind of tie into that. And, I was thinking also in, in preparation for the show just about what a wild career arc he's already had. Like if you if you go back to 2015 when he makes his debut as a rookie, it's the 25th consecutive year that the Red Wings make the playoffs. It also marks like the end of that run for them. Uh, he's on a team in that rookie season and he's playing a big role on that team 
with Datsuk, Zetterberg, Tatar, Nyquist, a 35-year-old Brad Richards who retires after the season, Nicholas Cronwall. Um, you go on down the list of just like, uh, you know, a who's who of leftovers from from that previous Red Wings era. And then just like that, after the next season, Pavel Datsuk leaves. They don't make the playoffs again since it looks like they're going to miss again for the seventh consecutive year. And that sort of is the the... the the idea that I kept coming back to of like, man, not that it's a wasted opportunity because he's still young and he's still in his prime. And I still think there are bright days ahead for this organization and for him on it as the captain. But I'd like to see them get there sooner rather than later, because I don't want to be looking back at, at his career five, six years from now being like, ah, ah, what could have been? Because it really feels like he is the type of player that would thrive in that setting. 100%. Yeah. And that's a good point. I mean, he's been there to see like all these by the way, how long is Brad Richards in the league? I know, I unbelievable. Know. I that, yeah. that, you said that name, I just fell off my chair. Um, <laughs> no, I. But you're, I mean, yeah, I, and he's, you know, there's, I think, a level of appreciation from him, especially, um, um, in terms of like, you know, uh, what he's been through. I think for that franchise up to this point, um, I, I think that, uh, again, I want to lean on the fact that I think you do have a good general manager up there, who. Um, just the malleability, that's the word I'm looking for here, the malleability of Dylan Larkin, I think, Dimitri, to be able to play um, with whoever he, wherever you could put him with. I, I, at the end of the day, um, I keep going back to this, and I know you mentioned earlier, I'd love to see him play with somebody that's a little bit more of a puck carrier too. Yeah. Um, I think that that's really, at the end of the day, what it comes down to for me is if you could lo- lessen that burden on him. There, there are so many good returns with him um, and like I said, his ability to like stalk the ice. And you were talking earlier about going against the grain, right? Uh, and moving against the grain to find that space, kind of like sneaking out of the frame and then coming back and exactly uh, yeah. stuff like that. Like think about like how much more you could get on a return if you had somebody else doing the work on the puck here and allowing him to do that, um, you know, away from the play and stalk that open ice um, uh, and, and be the guy who, who's kind of the threat in that sense. Um, I think it's like a whole another potential aspect to a game that as a finisher um, that maybe we haven't seen yet. Because I think historically, you look at his time in the league, um, there were a few years there where he, his finishing returns were really bad. Um, and you're kind of like, well, maybe this isn't what he is. And then you go into 21-22 and it's like, boom, the, the roof blew off the place. And all of a sudden, you know, he became King Midas and it's kind of continued into this year, proving that it's not just a trend, right? And then there is a little bit in there, um, you know, as far as finishability is a lot more in there than I think that we thought. So... Uh, and, you know, I, I, to me, I think if you could just give him a little bit of that help on the entry side, take away some of that responsibility, you know, it doesn't just um, keep him fresh. It opens up possibilities for him to you yeah. know, elaborate on that finishing a little bit. Yeah. Like, I, I, I literally want to get eyeballs off of him, allow him to sort of more sneakily build up some of that speed. And, and by the time he gets the puck, he's already in full flight as opposed to having to ramp up himself with the entire defense sort of keying in on him and watching every one of his strides. So. I think that's like a really important distinction there. And I, it, you know, for him personally, it's also, um, you know, quite, quite a story in the sense that, you know, you go 2019, 20, they really organizationally hit that eight year where they have like a 45 point pace before the COVID stoppage. Then the following year in the shortened season, he only plays 44 games and he has nine goals and 23 points. And you mentioned some of that finishing. It also ends with this like brutal injury where Jamie Ben cross checks him in the neck, basically off of a draw and ends his season. And since then, he's performed at a 33-goal, 80-point pace. He gets rewarded with this mega eight-year extension. And so uh, the the team success hasn't come there yet, um, but it, it seems like he has really sort of come into his own over these past two seasons. And I think, you know, that is that is an important piece of this story as well because it's cool to see him sort of revitalize himself in that way after a, a bit of a dip there. Yeah, and, and here's the good thing too, right? Like we've talked about like, um, and this is like the great intangible. You can never predict this stuff and... Um, you know, it, it, it's just, it is what it is, but I mean, if you look back, you know, he, he's going to probably, he's played, I mean, he's on track to play more than 70 games again this year, but he's a guy who's going to give you like 71 plus pretty much every season, other than the one he got cross-checked in the neck on. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. you know, I, you talk about availability, uh, per, uh, um, sweat that he gives you and, and, uh, abuse that he takes and the, I think the amount of muck, like we said earlier, that he has to go through to make plays it's quite frankly amazing that he's in the lineup as much as he is. I mean, he's in the defensive zone blocking shots. He's in the defensive zone uh, taking hits to make plays to get out of the defensive zone. Um, like you, you, you talk about like 
if Mike Rowe was going to do a Dirty Jobs episode on hockey, a lot of it would be some of the stuff Dylan Larkin's doing. And uh, to have the availability he's had in the face of all that, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. I'm really curious to see what the Red Wings do next, right? They they took a, a calculated step back at this year's deadline. They sold off a lot of their futures, uh, including Bertuzzi, who was a really nice fit for him as a line mate because he does have very sneaky sort of distribution ability and was able to hit him in stride sometimes. And so now they have roughly $30 million in cap space coming this summer. Uh, they have five picks in the top two rounds. And, you know, last year I think we saw them make a bit of a mistake in terms of getting a little bit antsy and trying to get competitive maybe more quickly than they probably should have and spending a ton of money on sort of veterans to come in and round out the roster. And then Steve Eisenman comes out at the deadline this year and says, you know what, we look around and even in our own division, we feel like the Senators and the Sabres are a bit ahead of us in terms of their rebuild. And so we want to make sure we do this right. And so I'm kind of, I'm curious to see what happens this summer in terms of whether they get, they get kind of like itchy on the trigger finger again in terms of trying to get aggressive and get there eventually, or if they take a, a longer view here and maybe, you know, more patiently wait it out and potentially draft some players up, up top um, with some of those picks that can come in in a couple of years and, and fill that void in terms of some of the offensive skills that I think this roster is lacking right now. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And it's it, that kind of space is not always good, right? Um, yeah, that kind of it's tough, space, yeah. it could be used. It could be used really poorly and it could really uh, throw the handcuffs on on your rebuild and your ability to stay financially flexible if you go about it the wrong way. So um, now I'm 100%. Well, this is a critical time for them. I mean, they've got this piece locked down. That's important, right? Like this is a really, really good, um, sure thing to have in your lineup. Um, and like we talked about the utility of it, that's great. Um, but, you know, don't you you don't want to waste this, right? I mean, you, you, this is an important window. This is an important period of time um, for as for as 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 good as things can go after this, you could you could throw a real wrench into your plans here. Like you said, they've they've kind of already done that a little bit. Um, there's going to be a, a bit of preciseness they're going to need to have here to pull this off correctly. Okay, here's a, a, a parting question for you, and I, I'm genuinely curious for your take on this. I know we just spent 45 minutes basically ranting and raving about what a special player Dylan Larkin is, and he's the team's captain. They just committed what like nearly 70 million dollars to him. In some future where the Red Wings finally get over the hump, get back to the promised land, either not necessarily you know win multiple Stanley Cups, but at least competing and, and legitimately in the mix there, is Dylan Larkin going to be the best forward on that team? Uh, I'm going to say yes. Yeah. Well, here's why. Like, this... He's the kind of player that, like, you. I, I here's what I would say. I think back. I, I you know you know me. I always gonna give you like a Penguins example of something. I'm sorry about that, but I think back to the the time that Phil Castle had like this unbelievable run in the Stanley Cup playoffs and didn't win the Conn Smythe. Right. Right. Like his his contributions in the goal column were undeniable. Um, you could argue they won the Cup because of what Phil Castle did on the scoring side, but the completeness of what Sidney Crosby was doing. Right. The completeness of it was so great that Phil Kessel could never get over that hump. And where I'm going with this, Dimitri, is Detroit may have more talented forwards, yeah, right? More offensively talented, eye-catching forwards, right, that uh, that do greater things in the goal-scoring department than Dylan Larkin does. It's going to be really difficult to take the whole of it and, and, and like, go over top of what he's giving you. Um, like, Marco Casper is unbelievable, right? Like, um... It's just guys you've got hands for days and and does crazy things. His work ethics out of this world. I mean, what I what I'm getting at is it's so hard to just take everything Larkin does and go over top of that. So yeah. that's that's my final answer. I don't know if it's a cop out, but um, I I just think that that there's so much value to his game and he's providing you so many benefits in so many different areas of the ice that it's tough to tough to get over that. No, that's that's kind of what I, I was getting at, and I I agree with that. Like I think. There, there might be a point where, I mean, they're certainly going to have to improve the supporting cast and, and sort of get more talent around him. But if they do get to that point, I could envision a scenario where he's, you know, he's sort of the nerds pick and he's like the most useful player uh, and he kind of brings it all together. But they have other players who are maybe putting up more points or doing it in a more flashy way and getting credit for that. But ultimately, when you try to kind of get to the root of their success, it'll always wind up leading back to Dylan Larkin and everything he does. So yeah. I uh, I know I, I don't think that's a cop out. I think that's the right way to look at it. And I think that that's also part of why like the contract negotiation was was so fascinating to me. And they ultimately wound up getting there. But 
you know, trying to come up with what the number would look like and what would make sense for both parties. I think that's something the Red Wings were probably bouncing around internally as well, right? Like how much are we comfortable getting to here with the number for the next eight years with that in mind that we're going to need to surround him with significantly more talent. And then, and with the type of talent that's probably going to be very pricey itself because players who put up big points wind up getting paid a lot. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. No. Um, and yeah, you, like it's like I was just saying before too, Dimitri, you can't handcuff you can't handcuff yourself um, and put yourself in a um, a bind where you know you you have great assets uh, and great talents, um, you know that you can't appropriately surround with the type of players. And I just I have to go back to the point that like this is the kind of player who's any talent you give him, he's probably going to elevate, right? Um, he's probably going to get a little bit more out of. I think he wins so many pucks all over the ice that there's opportunity that gets created from Dylan Larkin in so many different facets of the game. Um, that if you find that right mix, man, like, you know, it doesn't, you don't, I feel like it's, it's one of those situations where um, you want to give them the best talent unquestionably, but you're not going to have to like bend over backwards and completely break the bank to do it because he can, again, I, I keep using that term malleable. He can just play in so many different ways and with so many different types of talent that it doesn't have to be like this A-plus home run, you know, high salary uh, guys that you stick with him. Um, you know, I think he, he could do really well with, um, you know, a little less than that. So you you, know, you don't have to completely handcuff yourself in, uh, in providing him with help uh, is where I'm getting at. And when you look down the line here, as far as like what Detroit's got in the pipeline, most of it, most of the good stuff, you know, at least at the top half, a lot of it's defensive. You know, mm-hmm. they have a lot of really unbelievable defensive yeah. uh, defensive prospects, but they're they're lacking a little bit on the wing. Yeah. Okay, Jesse. Well, that was a blast. Uh, really enjoyed that. Uh, another W for the film club, no doubt. Yeah. Um, I will let you on the way out here, let the listeners know where they can check out your Larkin piece and uh, plug whatever you want. Uh, let them know. Sure, yeah, yeah. So the Larkin piece is uh, at McKintocky. Um I got a little... Um, uh, video analysis there and then uh, other stuff I have you could find at The Athletic is uh, a similar kind of study on Mikhail Granlin so if you're mm-hmm. jonesing if you're jonesing for some Nashville Predators tape uh, look no further than that piece uh, maybe you should have written that piece up, written that piece up before the trade and maybe the Penguins could have checked it out yeah maybe <laughs> no, yeah, right? I spent a lot of time watching the Ducks and the Predators though I need a vacation I can tell yeah, you much. yeah I bet um, alright man well this was a blast uh, my plugs are Go, uh, go give us a five-star rating for the listeners. If they enjoy this conversation, we're going to do another film club in a couple weeks. And uh, I'm going to post some of these Larkin clips on my YouTube channel. Just search up Cast if you want to get a sort of visual representation of what we were talking about to supplement the great article that uh, Jesse wrote in McKean's. And we'll be back tomorrow with more. So until then, thank you for listening to the Cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.